This is a WTOP original podcast. From Podcast One. Previously on Colors. I came to the U.S. when I was two months old with my parents, and we came to the U.S. as boat people from Vietnam in 1979. How does that term, boat people, make you feel? I, it makes me feel proud. Dr. Julie Pham is CEO of Curiosity Based, a consulting practice dedicated to helping people realize the power of their own curiosity. When I get into conversations with people about the Vietnam War, and sometimes it starts with, oh, I'm so sorry for what we did to your country. Hmm. And so I just let them know, well, actually, um, we were fighting alongside one another for um, freedom. The Americans were supporting um, the South Vietnamese. Coming up in this episode of Colors, the the population of Chambersburg, Pennsylvania is just over 21,000. The population is 90% white. Residents tend to vote Republican. But in the last year, something changed. An African-American man, a Democrat, is running for mayor and doing well. This is, this, is a, this is a new beginning, and I'm asking people to trust me that it is time, and it requires all of us, not some of us. Businessman Marvin Worthy and his wife Linda are working on building something purple. Blue plus red equals purple. We just want to be sure that everybody has a voice at the table, and I think that we're starting to bring people around in terms of the message that we're sending. We're really trying to build this community together. Regardless of how the election comes out, the story of Marvin and Linda Worthy and Chambersburg is remarkable. That's coming up in this episode of Colors. Simmering racial tensions. Segregation now and tomorrow and forever. Fighting injustice. I have a dream. Conflict looming. Brutality exposed. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. The search for solutions starts here. From WTOP in Washington, D.C. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America. Check the mic and make sure it sounds right, boys. My name is Dimitra Ganyas, and I live in Connecticut. I am a first-generation American Greek. My name is Kindy Andrews. I'm Black, Caribbean, British, and in Birmingham, the UK. I'm Ellen Nakashima, and I'm a third-generation Japanese-American born in Hawaii. I'm Dan Shelley, and I'm white. And I'm JJ Green, and I'm Black. And this is Colors. A lot of things have changed in America since George Floyd's death in 2020. One of those things is this program. It didn't exist beforehand. It was created to share stories about how American race relations are evolving. And here's another example. In a place in Pennsylvania called Chambersburg, the population is about 90% white. They vote Republican most of the time. But here's a story about an African-American man who is a Democrat who's running for mayor. And since George Floyd's death, the electorate seems to have had a change of heart. Businessman Marvin Worthy and his wife, Dr. Linda Worthy, share their story. 
Marvin Worthy, you write on your website, Marvin Worthy for Mayor, I am a husband, father, and business person. I love my family and my community. I will ensure that in Chambersburg, we all continue to have a bright future blessed with promise and opportunity. I am strongly committed to our youth and have spent much of my life working with young people to help them set and achieve their goals. Tell us who you are. Tell us, Dr. Worthy, who you are. Tell us why you're in this and why you're doing what you're doing. Well, um, JJ born in Union, South Carolina in the 1960s, uh, was exposed to a variety of things I witnessed but could not name them, but later learned that it was racism. Uh, my mother decided to move us and her five boys and daughter to inner city North Philadelphia, which was a transition as well. Um, mother, single mom, welfare, trying to make it work in an in a environment that was drug infested, gang infested, crime infested, and the list goes on, but had a mother who was stuck on the fact that we would get an education. Uh, and so my whole life I've experienced as a little boy uh, what it's like to be on the receiving end of racism, uh, but had a grandmother who taught me that she said, I never forget it. She said, you will, people, you will meet people who will treat you badly for no other reason than the color of your skin. But I want to encourage you to keep an open mind, open heart, open ears and open eyes. And you'll meet some incredible people along the way who will love you unconditionally. And she was right. And so the buffer for me is that in spite of all the challenges that I've had with the issue of race, I was able to meet some incredible people along the journey who I could hold on to and who could undergird me. But I felt the need to do something different and to create space and opportunity to teach and coach people um, how wonderful it is to meet people if you give them a chance to introduce themselves from the inside out. And that's been my goal my whole life, uh, working to eradicate racism mm -hmm. and to really teach and coach people the value of building relationships with people who look different, but may be the same on the inside in terms of what they believe and what they value, what they're passionate about, et cetera, et cetera. But I got involved in the work with youth and around this around the race issues because I am a product mm -hmm. of a community who understood the value of raising kids in a village. So although I had my biological mother who I lived with, I had mothers up and down the block who held me equally accountable. I can relate. And so 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 I've been invested in paying it forward. Because I am in this space because so many people before me and those who poured into me saw value in me before I saw it in myself, JJ. Mm -hmm. And I'm so grateful for those people who, who saw that before I could and held on to my dream for me until I could embrace it on my own. Mm -hmm. um, just got sick and tired of racism, man. Sick and tired of being sick and tired and uh, decided to do something about it. Fanny, I, mean, I, remember, I remember, go ahead. Fannie Lou Hamer was a genius. <laughs> Fannie Lou Hamer was a genius. Doctor, Dr. Worthy, you were one of these people, no doubt, that helped him hold on to this dream because you two have been together for a minute. And I'm just interested in how your story, uh, coming from where you came from, intersected with his. And when you got involved in this process, in this dream, because this is a shared dream, I'm 
I have no doubt about that. Seeing the two of you on, I believe it was ABC Nightline at one point. I think it was Nightline. Am I correct? Soul of a Nation. Yeah, Soul, Soul of a Nation. Nation. You know, you two have a shared dream. So what's your story? How'd you connect? So I was born and raised in Mississippi and the mid Delta in Mississippi. So I want to paint a picture for you. So like Marvin, I grew up in a small town in the South um, where the black community and white community were separated by a railroad track. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I can paint this picture of black women working in the homes of white women, just like the movie, the help mm-hmm. is very um, um, indicative of the community that I grew up in. Um, when desegregation started in the South, um, one school became uh, a school for the uh, black kids and one school for the white kids. So all the white kids left the black, uh, the public school and created their own school. Um, I grew up in a town where um, you walk into a store, you're followed because of the color of your skin. And and one of the experiences that one of my friends pointed out right after we did the Soul of Nation, was re- she recalled when we went into one store and a gentleman was on the phone talking and I asked a question, he ignored me. So I re-asked the question um, and he, he said to the other person he was talking to on the phone, hold on, because I got these two niggas in here asking me a question. So here I am, a very young girl, trying to understand and decipher that and trying to navigate a world that I wasn't quite familiar with as a child, but I know what I experienced and what I felt when I heard that word. So I, I remember uh, as a child, I always knew that I wanted to leave that place because I, I grew up where black folks were still going to the cotton fields, still going to the pecan orchards to pick pecans in order to make a living. My mom picked cotton, my sisters and brothers and I went to the cotton field to try to make a living. This, that, that's my reality. And I just knew that there was something better and greater for black people and that we didn't have to be subjected to those kinds of, uh, that kind of treatment or that kind of, um, uh, of living. And I knew there was something better. So I always wanted to, to get out. We had some activists in our community when I was growing up. And I remember this one man who was very active in the civil rights movement. And I will never forget in our town, he um, he became, you know, he went missing. So we never we never discovered he they found his body dead. I mean, body uh, slain somewhere. We, we don't know what happened. And I never forget when. My mom was trying to explain that story to us and what that meant. And I never forget that story. And I was like, because he was fighting for, you know, for a better life for black people. And somebody killed him. I didn't understand that. It was when I got older, when I started to really understand and dissect what racism really meant. And it was much more sweltering sweltering in the South Mm -hmm. than in any other places during that time. And and I understood why people migrated to the North, because we still got the connection from Mississippi to Chicago. That's where all the black people went from Mississippi. And then in Chicago, they would send them all down to Mississippi for the summer when they would try to you know, keep them out of trouble in Chicago. Yeah. So I understood that migration piece. And so, of course, I ended up going to HBCU Tougaloo College in, in Mississippi. That's where I became active in the, um, in, in the movement or the um the epic center for a lot of the civil rights activities in, in, in the South, mm-hmm. especially in Jackson, Mississippi. You know, uh, I've been to Jackson. I've been to Greenville. I've been to Chula, Mississippi. Yes. I've seen the place where Medgar Evers was shot. 
I've yeah. seen the place in his in the, the driveway. You know, yeah. I have visited with the Carmelite nuns in 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 there, uh, and and um, so I've spent a significant amount of time in Chula, and I know what Chula Sugar Ditch Alley, and you know, I know what Chula is all about, and I know exactly what you're telling me about because I didn't come from that place. I grew up in a let's just say I grew up in a place in Southern Virginia that was pretty much on par with what you're talking about. And so I understand perfectly what you're talking about. People using names that don't fit you, names that weren't designed for you, names that don't make you feel good to refer to you. I understand that. So where in your journey did you meet Marvin? At Bucknell University when I was the associate dean of students with emphasis on diversity. And so we met um, through another colleague who brought him there to do some work with some of our student leaders in our Greek life. I think it's Greek life too, right? Mm-hmm. The Greek life um, community. Yeah. And that's where we met and we understood that we both had a passion for this work. Mm-hmm. And um, so, so now, um, Dr. Worthy, you and Mr. Worthy have embarked on this journey together and i mean the journey i mean this is remarkable people when you hear the story and some of you might have seen and read a little bit about this but you have you've come from these places where racism was was just on display 24 7 you know you move to places uh to a new place and you know there's lo and behold there's racism there too you know a different kind of racism i don't let you explain that but you, Marvin, have gotten in where you are now is truly remarkable because you are running for mayor of Chambersburg, Pennsylvania, which is a far cry from the inner city of Philadelphia and in a lot of different ways. I'm going to let you explain this. And it's my understanding that you are doing very well there. I mean, this is a conservative is if I, correct me if I'm wrong a very quote unquote white part of Pennsylvania and you're doing very well. So what, what, what happened here? <laughs> I mean, aside from the fact that people got, you know, you, you showed them the light and they saw it. What, what's happening here? Well, a, a couple things happened. Uh, when I arrived, I got heavily involved in this community because I understood that students of color were dead last and graduating from high school and going on to higher education. And so I started creating youth programs, one of which is uh, YMCA Youth Achievers Program, which is a college readiness uh, program that the curriculum was created by Linda and I, and I'm the instructor going into my 14th year. And so in, in, in listening to the stories of individual students and parents, I understood that they didn't know how to dream because they were limited in terms of their exposure. Not to mention that um, they, they needed to be undergirded and to be told in the way that I was told as a young boy that I had value. And so I wanted to play an active role in that for sure. And then we got asked to create racial reconciliation. Mm-hmm. And then I, and that opened up some doors. Our intention was to find ways to, eliminate, eradicate racial injustices in our community. Uh, We knew we couldn't take a big bite and try to do it nationwide, but we thought if we did it here, we could begin some 
difficult conversations uh, around issues that most people try to avoid. But we decided that we needed to do something that would maintain itself and be intentional. And so we got behind that in a huge way and expected that other members of our community join with us and created opportunities for people to come and have those discussions out loud. Uh, and so what, what's happened from the little boy in, in uh, North Philadelphia trying to figure out how to navigate an environment that was very different than the rural South, um, I took advantage of youth programs in my own community. And because I'm a product of that, I feel an obligation and responsibility to pay it forward. Now, having gone to predominantly white institutions from middle school through college, I was up against those kinds of challenges all the time, but became, I, I just felt like I needed to do something and say something and not be afraid to do so. And it's allowed me the opportunity to build relationships and to create really a, even a business in doing this work for the last 34 years, as you well know. And so why mayor? Well, I'm a firm believer. If I have expectations of the people that uh, support me in the efforts that we do in our community collectively, that I have to, I have to set the example. And mm -hmm. It was time. Now, let me be real clear about something, JJ. I didn't wake up one morning trying to be mayor. <laughs> yeah, let me be real clear. <laughs> but this woman next to me, she I did. Was in the kitchen, minding my business. She did. <laughs> right, and I heard her say something like, "Have you asked Marvin?" I said, "Ask Marvin what?" I got it. I said, she said, I said, huh? She said, I got it, I got it. Well, I said, I don't know why you did that. She goes, oh, think about it. So I did. I, I prayed about it, thought about it, talked with Linda, my daughter, Taylor. And, mm -hmm. you know, it made sense, JJ. Yeah. Because the work I've been doing in this community for almost three decades made sense that I placed myself in a position of leadership. Mm-hmm that's visible and, and creates a platform for me to continue to do the work on a broader scale. So here, here's my question. You're on that platform. I mean, this is one of the most unlikeliest, this is one of the most unlikely scenarios that I can imagine. But the thing that is really interesting about this is that we, we plan, I've heard this since I was a kid, we make plans and God laughs. So, <laughs> you know, would this have happened before George Floyd's death? Which part? Him running for mayor? Yes, or yes. The work. The work. The, him running for mayor. Yeah. I don't think so. Probably not. So this is, this is what I'm getting at here. All of the things that you were doing were happening in your thought process and what you were doing and your plan. And, and lo and behold, the world, the universe is helping you. You don't know it. But then all of these things take place to just, I won't say pave the way but certainly open people's eyes to what it was you were doing, preparing people for, talking to people for all these years. And suddenly in this place, Chambersburg, it's like, it's your time. So the question I want to ask you is, how was the reception when you started this process in Chambersburg? Humbled by the support. Really? Encouraged. People got behind it right away. And not just be, it wasn't because I was running because I'm just a person of color, although it matters to me and to many people for, for significant reasons. But people were familiar with the work that I've been doing in this community mm -hmm. and that we recognize that we were at a place where we needed change 
We need a change in leadership and we needed someone who could connect the dots, build a community, provide the insight and the understanding and do it in a way that people could listen and lean in, lament and go to action. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, I I mean, I, I think some people were surprised because this is a community that's accustomed to winning every election in this community. Yeah. Uh, and so this was a different or running uncontested or running uncontested. Um, and I think a lot of the work that Linda have done, we brought, we've had people say it to us. We did not know there were so many other people in our community who saw value in this work. It was like people was in silos or isolated and, and wanted to fight the good fight, but felt like they were alone. But when we did the love demonstration, MLK day event, that people came out in numbers we did not anticipate. And I think that that shook the foundation a bit and, and people became, there was an awakening mm-hmm. of people who really wanted to participate, but didn't know how, didn't know where to start, didn't know what to do. And we created that framework. So people have heard about this and this is resonating far beyond Chambersburg. I can tell you that for sure, because as I mentioned, you, you, we saw you on that ABC Nightline Soul of a Nation program, and people have sort of picked this up. But, you know, you have been trying to unite people for, for many years, the, bo- the both of you, the you know, for decades. This isn't hasn't been about a black power thing. This has been about trying to uh, heighten awareness of the importance of black lives, but you're doing it by elevating everyone at the same time. And through education. And, you know, I've witnessed some of your your work and I've seen how you work. And I'm just curious to know when you decided to run for mayor, what was the first thing you did? I mean, did you have a plan when you decided to run or did when did you know when you decided, okay, I'm in this race, here's what I got to do? Or did you have to go seek counsel? What was the process of getting all into this? And, and that's for both of you to answer. Well, um, in those three decades, I built relationships mm-hmm. with people in positions of power, uh, people who have lived in this community, who I was able to build rapport and respect with, people I've already collaborated with and other efforts and many of them who have been clients of mine or participants in trainings I've done throughout this community. And so I knew I had a family of people who understood the value of what we were trying to accomplish. So I went right there and I pulled them in. I said, this cannot happen in isolation. I cannot win this election by myself. It will require a collective of people who are not afraid to speak out, and supporting me, articulating why. And we created every opportunity possible for other people who didn't look like me to articulate why I I am the client, not the client, but the the candidate for mayor who they believed, as we believed, could create the change that was necessary because of the relationships that existed. Mm -hmm. And, And quite honestly, Uh, the skill and the talent that we bring to a place who's trying to understand how to eradicate racial injustice. 
Now, Doctor no. Doctor Worthy, this hasn't been this this hasn't been easy. This hasn't been all easy. This hasn't been all humble and all you know. People haven't just been happy about this. Am I am I, am I right about that? You're correct about that. <laughs> Can you share? Um. Well, I know you want to keep this positive. I know you, I know we don't want to get into the the, the right. ugly of this, but I just want to make sure that people understand that this has not been all. Um, the flower beds of ease, as my father used to say for you. No, it has not. Um, you know, because there's a, there's a safety uh, matter, um, safety, you know, concern, uh, you know, because we have a young daughter. Um, the public exposure um, puts you in places where um, you draw more attention because of what we're doing. And so you have the potential to, to be harassed, to which we have. We've had to, you know, get... Um, you know, the police involved in some issues um, because of the harassment. Um, and, you know, so we've had lots of different things to happen since we appeared on the Sullivan Nation. Um, you know, different kinds of nitpicking thing. We've been living in this community for 16 years, and I'm usually like the community police in terms of I pick up, I pick up trash in my community. I uh, trim people's, you know, tree lands to keep them off the sidewalk. You know, I, I'm the one that usually do that. People, you know, would see me walking around, you know, doing that kind of thing. And what, two days after the soul of a nation, we got a letter from the borough with someone saying that our tree limb was hanging over the sidewalk. And I'm thinking like, I've been here 16 years and this never happened. So of course, because we know people at the, at the borough, I called and I was like, what is this about? They said, we don't go around policing that. The only way that we would know something like that is that someone called us and they saw that, right? And that's the only reason why we would come out. And the, the weird part about it is that I had several neighbors whose trees were hanging much lower, branches were hanging much lower, but they didn't get anything. Mm -hmm. And so I was just like, okay, here it starts. Jokingly, I said that, but it did indeed start because then we started to get harassed through Facebook, our personal emails, um, all kinds of things. And so, but it's a part of, you know, it's a part of the territory. So we're not, we're, it's, it's not that we're unfamiliar with it, but it did the, um, the uh, extra public exposure did increase the amount of yeah. um, so attention. What did yeah. you do about this? Uh, is this continuing? What did you do about it to deal with this? Well, for the two harassment issues, I did call the police and the police the, for the first one issued a, war a warning for the uh, person. And the second one I requested, uh, I decided to press charges. And so that person was cited mm -hmm. in the second harassment mm -hmm. case. Well, you know, I strongly wish you the best uh, in dealing with that. Uh, and um, we will keep an eye on that from here. And everybody listening will keep an eye on that. And perhaps we can 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 help you in some way let us know how but um in terms of the race um it's coming down to when is election day and and, and how's how's it going at this this stage we're apolitical here uh, we don't support candidates but what we do do here is we we talk about the truth about race and we talk about the truth about america and um, this is a truth about race in America that's happening right now that I'm not sure people have witnessed. Certainly a lot of young people haven't witnessed anything like this. So as we approach Election Day, how is it going? 
So election is Tuesday, November 2nd. Um, from The polls will be open from 7 a.m. to 8 p.m. on that day. Um, my perception about how it's going, I think it's going really well. I think Marvin is a true contender in this election. Um, I think he has a lot to offer to this community. We never set out to, you know, how this community is usually considered to be a very red community mm-hmm. and not having, a, you know, in terms of how folks vote. We never set out to say that we were going to try to turn Chambersburg blue, mm-hmm. um, which is the reason why we have the color purple. We said, but we could definitely try to balance this this community out. Blue plus red equals purple. We just want to be sure that everybody has a voice at the table. And I think that we're starting to bring people around in terms of the message that we're sending. We're really trying to build this community together. Uh, we're really trying to um, unify us because, you know, we're, we're tired of this division, not only in our community, but in this country. Yes. And so that has been our message that will continue to be our message. We have been running a very positive campaign and we, we can, we plan to continue to do that. This is, this is not about, um, um, who's better or who's worse. This is about who can get the job done. Who's the best candidate to get the job done. And I just, of course, believe that Marvin Worthy is, which is why, um, I've endorsed him to be mayor from day one. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Let, let me just add to that. And, and and my wife's heard this a thousand times because I say it to the community out loud. Uh, and that is that I believe that there's more love than there is hate. But hate is loud and love is quiet. And it's time to love out loud. And how we do that is by positioning ourselves where decisions are being made that impact our community and making sure that there's equal representation at the table so no one is forgotten. Uh, that's one motivator in terms of why I think we're doing well. And when I say that we're doing well, we're doing all that is necessary. Trust me when I tell you, this is a grassroots effort. Yes, it is. We're talking about decades of decades of uh, the, the same old way, right? And mm-hmm. who's, been, who's been running, who's been communicating, et cetera. And so we are a... Um, this is this is a this is a new beginning, and I'm asking people to trust me uh, that it is time, mm-hmm. and it's time, and it re- and it requires all of us, not some of us. Yeah. And that as we build this new community, it re- I wanted to I want to make sure that the people who are doing the building is representative of the community itself. Well, you know, for those of you who are newcomers to Colors. Um, There is a a gentleman who we actually had on this program before, uh, and his name is Matt Fogel. Uh, And if you um, check out one of our earlier episodes, 49 is the episode. Matt Fogel is in that episode. And you and Matt Fogel have connected. And to me, it seems to be proof of what you're saying and how what you're saying is actually working because Matt Fogel was a conser- well is a conservative I'm assuming he was a Republican and he had an epiphany during the the the, the protest after the George Floyd death he made a statement and his party and again we don't do politics but I just got to tell it like it is cuz we're doing this story his party turned against him so he decided, okay, 
I can't I can't reside in this political space anymore. I got to go this other place. And he became an independent. And, you know, the two of you connected. Can you tell us, Marvin, how that story, what that story did for what you were doing? It was, and I'll let Linda talk about it as well. Well, um, I often talk about how we need to eliminate the excuses, Uh being out front and not being afraid or concerned about um, what what, what one might lose in the process and that we need to make the decisions that are right, even if it's uncomfortable. Yeah. And uh, Matt is a demonstration of what people in our community can do once they recognize the importance of having to endure a little uncomfortability to move us forward. And he's a great example of that. And there's many people in our community like a Matt Fogel. But from his position, as obviously you are aware, to be able to make that openly and make a statement without being apologetic is powerful indeed. And so it's an opportunity that's for, for us to use that story in terms of what's possible. Mm-hmm. But I'll let Linda talk a little bit about how we kind of connected. Um, so the, the day that Matt's statement came out um, and someone sent it to me and I read it. And so I reached out to Matt via email because he and I serve on another board together. And so I asked and I said to him, I'm sure you added up the cost. Um, because I knew what what would transpire after that statement. And I remember him responding back to me. He said, no, I, I really didn't. And, so I, and then I began to explain to him what he could possibly expect. And then he was like thinking like, like, really? Because he was just thinking like, I just, I told, I shared my truth. And sure enough, of course, um, the, um, his, his party decided to denounce him. Um, you know, they posted a picture of, of us with Matt um, in the newspaper and, you know, all, all of that happened. And then I went to um, our racial reconciliation group and I said, you know, I think we need to do something further. I think we need to um, write a letter. We need to make a statement. And and we did. And so we wrote a statement in support of Matt's statement. And I think how many we got over 700 signatures on that letter. And we had that published so that people could see that there were other people who were in support of Matt and uh, and his statement. And so, and that's how our relationship began to develop. And we started to have more conversations and we began to do more work together. And, you know, the creation of the um, DA um, Advisory Board on Race and and Equity. And so, but that's that's how we got um, connected. That, again, is another one of those pieces of intervention that had nothing to do with anything that any of us could have planned. And it's working out. And before we let you go, because I know you got responsibilities here, um, I've asked you a bunch of questions. I want to know what haven't I asked you about that you think is important that you would like folks on colors to know, both of you today. Uh, that you would like our listenership here at Colors to know? Um, that, that, the, the, that the fight is real and it's important to have individuals by your side, as you so eloquently mentioned earlier, in terms of Lynn and I doing this work together. 
but it's important to be able to have an inner circle of people who are doing this work all across the country mm-hmm. uh, as a place to go to vet and to be re-energized. But more importantly, we, we do this work not out of anything selfish, but selfless, that we have an obligation, responsibility to create a community, not only that will be better for our daughter, but for all daughters and sons and grandsons and granddaughters in this community. Uh, we, we just have an obligation to pay it forward and to be able to ask questions of significance and, and, and wait to hear honest responses. Um, I think I want people to know that this work is not easy. It does take a mental and emotional toll. So you definitely want to add up the cost before you embark on doing this work. Marvin and I added up that cost a long time ago, and we realized that it was still worth it um, to try to make a difference, not only for our daughter, but for every other child and grandchild that's coming, because I truly do not want my daughter to be sitting here having the same conversation with her children or her grandchildren. Um, I don't know if we will ever eradicate racism, but I'm surely hoping that we can combat it until that it is not um, sewn into the fabric of our country and the way in which it is now. I'm hoping we can do something that will will not make it always be the, the topic of conversation or you're always questioning your worth or when you walk in the room or, you know, uh, your value. I, I, I just, I, I just need it to be different in this country. I just want a different narrative for my daughter. Mm-hmm. I, I don't want her continuing to um, experience some of the things that I've experienced as a child that I continue to experience as an African American woman in this community. Mm-hmm. I'm just hoping that you know we could just have a a better America. <laughs> Well, one of, there are a number of things that you said today that will stick with me for a very long time that resonates most with me at this point is purple equals red plus blue. Yes. It's so simple. It's elegant. And it's, it's, it's easy to understand. Unity. Unity wins. And so, you know, congratulations on all that you've achieved. Good luck with your campaign. Best wishes in everyday life for the both of you. And um, we are so grateful that you took a few minutes to talk to us on Colors today about what you're doing. And we thank you again. Thank you. Thank you. Stay tuned for some reflections that you don't want to miss. You're listening to Colors. My name is Aya Sadiq. I am Middle Eastern. I'm Palestinian. I have a light complexion and green-colored eyes. Some would say I even look Caucasian. So often, I blend in with white Americans. It's the moment I begin talking that people realize I'm not from there. Where are you from, they ask, a question often too complicated for me to answer. And although I'm originally Palestinian, I almost always settle with, I was born and raised in Dubai. A part of me was afraid of saying Palestine. As a Muslim Arab in a post-9-11 world, I knew I needed to be aware of how I could be perceived the second I decided to come to the United States. This was an America where fascists and white supremacists and Islamophobes reigned the country. 
every time I was asked where I was from, I felt as though it came with the intention of strategically categorizing me into this hierarchical system of power based on skin color and identity. To me, that is America. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America. Coming up in our next episode of Colors... Darren Brown is Native American. His mother and father are Kochiti. They met at a hospital, and then the story gets really complicated. Well, you know, they got to talk, and you know how it goes, one thing led to another. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so she became pregnant. Before he was born, she left and went to Oklahoma City and had her child there. And then she put me up for adoption and went back to work as if nothing had happened. And, uh, my biological father said, hey, where have you been? Uh, she said, hey, I, I got pregnant. I didn't, I didn't think that you wanted to deal with that, the way you're acting, yada, 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 and had a child, almost, I, I almost died, and he said, well, where is our child? And she said, it died. But I'm here to tell you, JJ, I am here. I'm good to go. Alive and kicking. Um, yeah. And imagine their surprise when he showed up decades later after being raised in a white family. An unbelievably complicated story with an ending you might not expect. That's coming up in our next episode of Colors. And if you have any suggestions for a program or questions or comments or a guest idea, send us an email. You can reach us at colors at thecolorspodcast.com. That's colors at thecolorspodcast.com. As we go, we want to say thank you to some people. Hillary Howard, Mike Chikaitis, Ron Pemberton, Joe Loxley, Gretchen Soren, Julia Ziegler, Peggy Byard, Roz Whitaker-Heck, Ernie Green, Angeli Chong, Julie Fong, Jess Scheinflug, Mona Moran, the Pawnee community, and all Native Americans everywhere. And for the music, Jesse Gallagher, Cosmic, and Offshane. And most of all, thank you for listening. And just remember, keep talking to each other. And just as important, keep listening to each other. My name is Dimitra Ganyas. I am a first-generation American Greek. My name is Kylie Andrews. I'm Black, Caribbean, British. I'm Ellen Nakashima, and I'm a third-generation Japanese-American. I'm Dan Shelley, and I'm white. And I'm J.J. Green, and I'm Black, and this is Colors. You can subscribe to Colors on Apple, Spotify, Podcast One, or wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, you can find us on the Podcast DC app. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America.